0: Hey, faithful listener. Welcome to season six of the Bible Explained podcast, the podcast where the Bible gets explained. So grab your cup of coffee and enjoy today's discussion from the book of Acts. Happy Tuesday, friends and faithful listeners. This is Jen with the Bible Explained podcast. Today we're going to be in the book of Acts because it's Tuesday, and on Tuesdays and Thursdays, as you guys know, I do a New Testament episode, and we happen to be in the book of Acts right now. So we're in Acts chapter 13, and we're talking about the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas, and also John Mark. Now we're going to find out what happens to John Mark today, and also we'll be discussing the leadership of Paul. So grab your cup of coffee or your cup of tea this morning to enjoy some scripture reading together with me. And we'll be reading Acts chapter 13, 13 through 33 this morning. I'll be reading out of the W.E.B. Now Paul and his company set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. John departed from them and returned to Jerusalem. But they passing on from Perga came to Antioch of Poseidon. They went into the synagogue on Sabbath day and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the ruler of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, speak. Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people chose our fathers and exalted the people when they stayed as aliens in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, God led them out of it. For a period of about forty years he put up with them in the wilderness. When he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land for an inheritance for about four hundred and fifty years. After these things, he gave them judges, until Samuel the prophet. And afterward they asked for a king, and God gave to them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for forty years. When he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king. To whom he also testified, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From this man's offspring, God has brought his salvation to Israel according to his promise before his coming, when John had first preached the baptism of repentance to Israel. As John was fulfilling his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he, but behold, one comes after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie brothers children of the stock of abraham and those among you who fear god the word of this salvation is sent out to you for those who dwell in jerusalem and their rulers because they didn't know him nor the voices of the prophets which are read every sabbath fulfilled them by condemning him though they found no cause for death they still asked pilate to have him killed when they had fulfilled all things that were written about him they took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and he was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are witnesses to the people. We bring you good news of the promise made to the fathers, that God has fulfilled this to us, their children, in that he raised up Jesus. As it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son, and today I have become your father. Psalm 2 verse 7. So this entire thing we just read is just the gospel in a nutshell. And it is the uh, the point of the Old Testament as well. And so anytime anybody ever says, oh, you don't need the Old Testament, only read the New Testament, that's not true. Because if you don't understand the Old Testament, if you don't have that history to go off of and you don't understand the Old Testament laws either, you're not going to fully be able to comprehend why it was so important and so necessary for Jesus to come to earth. And Paul basically starts at the beginning, the history of the Israelites being in the land of Egypt and God rescuing them out of the land of Egypt. So verse 13, though, to start from the beginning, it says Paul and his company set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. That's a lot of Ps. (laughs) And it says John departed from them and returned to Jerusalem. So... We don't exactly know why John Mark, because that's who this was, we don't know why he departed from Paul and Barnabas. We have no clue. A lot of people assume based on scriptural context that John Mark started getting very scared to spread the gospel. He was scared to travel with Paul and Barnabas and experience um, persecution potentially. So he just went back to where he was comfortable, back to Jerusalem. Now, we know that this really affected Paul. He was very upset that John Mark left the, the company. And the reason we know Paul was so affected by this is because Barnabas and Paul actually ended up splitting over this issue. They got into some sort of quarrel over John Mark leaving the, the party. And Paul was having a really hard time accepting John Mark back into the fold after John Mark left. And once again, we don't know exactly why John Mark thought it was a good idea to leave. But whatever it was, it must have felt very hurtful specifically to Paul. He might have even felt kind of betrayed by John Mark's leaving of the group. And uh, maybe, maybe it was because John Mark had a quarrel with Paul. Maybe he didn't like Paul or something along those lines. We don't know. But we do know that once again, this this was a big issue for Paul specifically So it says that John Mark or John departed from them and returned to Jerusalem. But it says that Paul and Barnabas continued on their way. So they came to Antioch of Pisida. So this is not the same Antioch um, that we are talking about in the last chapter. This is Antioch of Pisidia. So this is not where that big church was. This is a different area. So it says that Paul and Barnabas go into the temple. The, the Jewish temple that was in Antioch of Pisidia. And all they did was actually sit down for the daily reading of the scriptures. So they're just sitting there and they are guests in that temple. And a lot of times what priests would do after they were done reading an excerpt from scripture is if there was a guest in town or a different priest in town or somebody with some knowledge, they would actually ask them to stand up and talk about something so they actually ask Paul to do it they're like hey Paul do you have any words of encouragement or anything you want to say to the people here so Paul stands up and he's just like yes I have an opportunity to spread the gospel so he stands up and he beckoned the people with his hand and he said men of Israel and you who fear God listen now I did some research whether or not there would have been women present in this speech that Paul was making. And I, I, my my research is inconclusive because at some point in time, men and women were not worshiping together in the temple, though they're not exactly sure when that started. Men and women did pray together and worship together, though women did were never um, speaking in the the temple. They were not allowed to read from the Torah, but they were allowed to listen alongside the men. But at some point in time in history, men and women in Jewish Jewish synagogues stopped worshiping together. And then women had their section and men had their section. So I don't know if women were present in this speech that Paul was making. But once again, my Research is inconclusive. I do not know if men and women at this point in time worshiped together in the Jewish temple or not, but Paul specifically refers to the men. And so that's kind of why I think that maybe, maybe women weren't present, or it could just be that this is older English and older English. When you hear the word men, it doesn't necessarily mean like just one gender of people. It means broadly all of humanity (laughs) you know so i don't know i don't know if women were present or not but anyway he says men of israel and you who fear god listen so he's referring to not just israelites here but also to gentiles who might be present because there were gentiles who would attend the readings in the jewish temple because they were devout even though they hadn't exactly started following Judaism yet, they still listened to Jewish teachings. And so it's possible that there were Gentiles in this room. So he says, and you who fear God, listen, the God of this people chose our fathers and exalted the people when they stayed as aliens in the land of Egypt. So so Paul is starting like from the very beginning, basically, of the Israeli nation back when they were foreigners in the land of Egypt in the book of Exodus. And he talks about how, you know, God led the Israelites out of Egypt and into the wilderness and God tolerated them or rather put up with them is what it says in the W.E.B. For a period of 40 years, God put up with them in the wilderness. And I like how Paul words that because he's he's making it known that the Israelites did nothing to get the approval of God. You know, the Israelites were always turning their backs towards God, but yet God always showed them favor and always gave them love and mercy. I talked to you guys actually the other day about the new Bible that I got, and it's the NET version of scripture, which I've never read out of this version that I know of. And so I didn't really know what it was and I bought it anyway. But I kind of like the way some of it reads because whenever it mentions God's love, I noticed that it puts the word loyal in front of love. So the NET often says God's loyal love towards humanity. And I think that that's really beautiful, actually, because that's what it is. God has a loyalty to us, like a loyalty to love us, even though humanity does not express that same loyalty to God. God's loyalty towards us will not falter. And so that's what Paul is talking about here. He says, God's loyalty was with the people, even in the wilderness, when they did nothing to deserve it. And then in verse 19, it says, after 40 years, God destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan and gave that beautiful, prosperous land to his people as an inheritance for 450 years. And so that's where we're currently at in the book of Judges <laughs> is right here. We are, we are talking about the 450 years after the Israelite people went into the promised land and all the craziness and insane things that the Israelites did to tick off God over and over and over again. But yet you can see that God was constantly merciful with the Israelites all through the book of Judges. And he would constantly give them a deliverer. You know, I, I think we have this misconception about God in the Old Testament that God constantly struck people dead. But if you look at the book of Judges, which took place for 450 years after the Israelites went into the promised land, there are no accounts of God's randomly striking people dead for 450 years when Israel was at its literal worst. Like it was at its worst. And we just see God constantly showing his mercy and loyal love to the Israelites over and over and over again. And so Paul is expressing this. You know, he's saying he gave this, uh, this beautiful inheritance to his people who didn't deserve it for 450 years. He gave them judges is what it says in verse 20 until Samuel the prophet. Now, we haven't gotten to Samuel yet in the Old Testament episodes that I'm doing, but we're about to get to Samuel. And so God gave the people these judges to take care of them and also to judge them so that when there's like a problem that the Israelites can't figure out, they can bring their problem to the judge and the judge will, will take care of it. So God was constantly supplying the people with what they needed, but then they demanded a king is what it says in verse 21. They asked for a king and God gave them what they asked for. So the people weren't happy with the judges. They weren't happy with the system that God put in place even though they never correctly followed it and never tried to follow it correctly to see if it would work, they start demanding a king. And it's funny because even in the book of Judges, we see them asking for a king. You know, they asked Gideon to become their king and a handful of other, other uh, judges acted like the king of Israel, yet they weren't supposed to be the king of Israel. God was supposed to be the king. And so the Israelites never fully tried you know, to make the judge system work that God put in place. And so they demand a king like all the other nations had. And God gives them a king. So here's what it says. God gave to them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And afterward, he raised up David to be their king, to whom God testified. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. I mean, there God answers the requests of the people and even gives them an excellent king in David. You know, David was an excellent and great king for the most part. I mean, he, he did have some problems, obviously, as all human beings do. But he was a really, really good king for Israel. And even though the people didn't deserve a great king, God still gave them a great king. Now, then after that, of course, after David dies and after Solomon, David's son dies, Israel once again falls into chaos with terrible, absolutely terrible kings. But God gave them a really good king to start out and a guide to follow so that they didn't have to have bad kings in the future. But once again, Israel did not do what God commanded them to do. So then after this, it says, from David's offspring, God brought salvation to Israel according to his promise. So you can see here, Paul is really expressing the mercy and the care that Yahweh had for all of humanity. Paul is also addressing the Greeks and the Gentiles in the room. It's not just for Israel. And Paul's about to explain that, that even though God chose israel for himself and chose them to be holy or set apart among all the nations of the world israel never did what they were supposed to do yet god was still so kind to them giving them what they asked for and what they needed but after that it says god raised up david and now salvation has come through david's offspring is what it says and obviously now paul is talking about jesus So Paul then brings it to John the Baptist. He's like, look, there is a man that you all have heard of, John the Baptist, who preached about Jesus before Jesus was even revealed as the Messiah. And John the Baptist specifically said, I am not the Messiah, but the Messiah is coming right after me. So Paul then brings his entire speech, his entire sermon to prophecy. He says, look, John fulfilled prophecy in what he said there. And you know who else fulfilled prophecy was the evil people who put Jesus to death. And I find that really interesting, actually. It says here in verse 27, for those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they didn't know him, nor the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath. (laughs) And that's really funny to me because it's kind of passive aggressive. Paul's just like, yeah, you know. Every single Sabbath, these leaders read the prophets, and yet they don't understand what they're reading. So he says, these same leaders all fulfilled the prophets by putting Jesus to death. And so that is, it's so interesting how The people of Jesus's time period fulfilled a lot of the prophecies about Jesus by putting him to death, by leading him to the cross, by leading him like a lamb that is being led to the slaughter. That's Isaiah 53. And so the people fulfilled those terrible prophecies and they don't even realize that they fulfilled the prophecies regarding Jesus. And so it says, They fulfilled the prophets by condemning him. They found no cause for Jesus's death, yet they still asked Pilate to have him killed. And when they had fulfilled all the things that were written about him, they then took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But then God raised him from the dead. So ultimately, God finished the prophecies about Jesus by raising him from the dead. And why did Jesus have to be raised from the dead? That's, that's a question I think some people ask is like, you know, Jesus died, but what was the point of him being raised from the dead? Well, the point is, is that Jesus defeated death. When you defeat something, you win over it, right? So Jesus won over death and because he won over death, he can now give us the same gift of eternal life forever. When we trust in Jesus as our savior, we also win against death. Death no longer has the same sting that it used to have back before Jesus came down to earth. There's hope now for when we die, because when we die, we achieve the same eternal life that Jesus achieved when he was risen from the dead three days after he died. And he gives that same free gift of eternal life to us. And so that's why we trust in Jesus as our savior, as our perfect sacrifice who conquered death for us, because we, we sinful human beings couldn't conquer death because we sin and the wages of sin, the payment for sin is actually death. So how could we possibly conquer something when we sin and the payment for sin is actually death? We couldn't do it. So Jesus was the only one, the only sinless human being who could ever conquer death for us because he lived in a human body. He never sinned and he was able to be that perfect sacrifice that completely erased the sting of death. And this is everything Paul is talking about here. The prophets were fulfilled, the prophets that the Israelite people knew so well have now been fulfilled. And I'm sure that Paul might be blowing some of their minds. Really? The prophets that we read every single Sabbath day are fulfilled. How could that possibly be? So then Paul says, God fulfilled all of this to us. The promise that had been made to the fathers when he raised up Jesus. And it is also written in the second Psalm. You are my son. Today I have become your father. And then, after this, we'll talk more about this um, on not on Thursday because Thursday is Thanksgiving, but next Tuesday, we will chat about the rest of Paul's sermon here and how he he really brings it home by quoting a lot of the prophets from the Old Testament. So we will be talking about that. But faithful listeners, tomorrow we're going to be in the book of Ruth, okay? And Ruth is such a cute, book of the Bible. It is so cute. It is like a cute little puppy in the midst of just total chaos <laughs> because the book of Judges is just nothing but chaos, right? And we are, we've already finished up the book of Judges. We finished yesterday. And so we're going to be moving into the book of Ruth, which is only four chapters long, and it is just the sweetest little story. And then we move into Second Samuel after that, which once again is just chaos. <laughs> so it just kind of shows how, you know, Good things can happen even in the middle of total chaos. And so that's why I really love the book of Ruth. So we'll be talking about that tomorrow. So tune in for the book of Ruth starting tomorrow. And then after we're done with Ruth, we'll be moving into season seven of the podcast. Once again, I don't know if I'm going to be doing an episode on Thanksgiving or not. I might just do a little short thing but I'm not sure yet. But there will not be a New Testament episode on Thursday, just to let you guys know so that you can all enjoy Thanksgiving with your families. Faithful listeners, check out all the links in the description of this podcast episode and click every single one to support the podcast and also rate and review wherever you're at if you have been enjoying The Bible Explained. Happy listening and God bless.